Hello and welcome to a very special Diminishing Returns this week as we are, among many other things, we are going to pass the Bechdel test for the first time ever. (laughs) (laughs) This is, I mean, that is true. It's the first time we've had more than one woman on the show at once. Yes, um, but you know, that, episode that... two hundred and thirty-eight or whatever it is, we're on. Um, yes, so I'm Sol. That's Alan. We're going to talk Hello. about a film, and we are joined by two very exciting new guests. We have got Liana Holston and Sienna Jekyll. I I don't know if I pronounce those names correctly or not. Um, <laughs> was that right? So close, Jekyll. But there's no way to possibly predict that. Yeah. <laughs> you nailed mine. No notes. Thank you. Excellent. So yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. So yeah, if you just want to talk about anything apart from another man for like, <laughs> 10 seconds now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Happily. So excited to be here. Breaking ground on the pod. What an honor. Um, Sienna, what do you have for breakfast today? I had scrambled eggs that I made by myself. Oh my God. Feminism is alive. It's happening. It's real. I love it. Amazing. I, I think we've done it there. Does that count? That's it. That's I did all we just, need. I did just cut you off and now. talk over you, but it <laughs> still counts. I think we're all going to learn a lot of lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, um, I reached out to you two because you, you did a podcast pilot and possibly will be taking it to series in some capacity in the future for a show called Frankly My Dear where the two of you discuss uh, each of the films on the AFI 100 Greatest American Films list. And I think the idea is that neither of you really know much about films and... You don't like films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So a perfect fit for a film <laughs> podcast. Excellent work. Who better to give expert advice on them? Yeah. Um, so, listeners, if you remember me going on and on about that development hell pilot thing uh, recently, that's how I came across these two. Uh, they they did another pilot for that same thing. So, at the time of this going out, you can at very least go and check out their pilot. Frankly, my dear, at um, whatever website it's at, if it's still going to be nextgreatpodcast.com or somewhere else, I'm sure it'll come up if you search for it. But no, it's, it's very good, well worth checking out. Um, you both talked about Citizen Kane, which we covered on this podcast quite recently. And I actually invited you on that episode, but then you said, oh, we're doing it for our thing. And yeah, fair enough. It's probably not worth (laughs) talking about too much. Plus, you know, Alan, myself and Calvin, who did our Citizen Kane episode, all really liked Citizen Kane. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, So it might have been... Yeah, it might have been a bit, I don't know, sparks might have flown. So, guys, what you do on your podcast is you've been going through the AFI uh, films, sort of the best American films that people mm. love, and you're, and then you basically talk about how you don't like them. So, as you are coming to be our guest today on this very British podcast, <laughs> even though we don't particularly focus on British films, we thought, let's pick the most British film we could think of <laughs> and, and set you the challenge of watching that. Y'all, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just just to just to clarify, uh, we we sent you the film Kes Kes, uh, which is not just a, a British film, but a Yorkshire film, yeah, a Barnsley film, which is even for British audiences is quite impenetrable. By yeah, for the it's, it's, it's the not just that's it. It's not just like difficult for. But when I rewatched this film the other day, I dug up a dodgy copy online because I I have seen it before and I didn't feel like paying for it. Because I'm getting made redundant, you know. Um, (laughs) And um, I genuinely, for the first few minutes, thought, oh, I've dug up a foreign copy. It's in French or something. And I, I'm not yeah. joking, I genuinely thought that. And yeah. then they got to the shop and started talking to someone who didn't have quite as broad an accent. And I was like, oh no, it is. It's just the accent. <laughs> yeah, seconds in, I turned on subtitles and the um, it uh, tried to auto-guess what language it was in and I think it put them in check. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like, can I <laughs> can I amaze you two? So the film is set in Barnsley, which is part of Yorkshire. Alan is from Barnsley. Whoa. I am indeed, yes. Oh my god, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> According to this film, you should not be. <laughs> well, that's it. I'm So I'm from, yeah, the same town where this was filmed. And basically, I was struggling to understand <laughs> some of what they were saying. And I was brought up in this language. Mm. Although I am frightfully middle class, obviously. So I'm not quite as connected <laughs> to the mining communities of the 60s. Um, but, but having said that, my... Parents were basically. I'm going to get into this later because it's going to come into the social stream. But my parents were from that area, and they were very working class. My grandparents, my grandfathers, were miners. They worked in the mines. They, oh that was, wow. So they they very much lived this life. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I do have kind of not exactly a nostalgia for this film because obviously I didn't live in this era, but. There's I, there's definitely familiarity there for me. Like I recognise things, mm. not places like that specifically, but the people, mm-hmm. like you know the like the old people in the working man's club and stuff. It's like oh, that's my grand granny, you know. <laughs> like, to, to, that's how wow. she spoke and, and everything. So, um, so we'll get into that a bit later. One thing, one thing I was wondering was what this film means for British <laughs> people. Like, what number is it on the list? You know, like it's a, is okay. it like. Number seven. <laughs> like so everyone's I, I, seen it. Yeah. You watch it in school. Yeah. Like, what is it? The reason I picked out for us to do here was I thought let's do the BFI top hundred instead of the <laughs> AFI top hundred. But then when I went to the BFI top hundred British films ever made, they're not very British. the The number one film on there is The Third Man, which is basically set in Vienna. Well, that's <laughs> it. It stars Orson Welles, who you're now oh, a big fan cool. of. And God. it's set in Vienna, so it's an American running around uh, in Vienna, and yeah. it, I think it had a British, you know, director and writer behind the camera, but it's not very inherently British, and that's true of most big British films, to be honest, aren't that inherently British. It's stuff like Alien and <laughs> and you know films where some British companies put the money in, and it's a British person directing it, but it's yeah. full of American actors and designed to play internationally and you know another another film on the uh, bfi top 10 is don't look now which is um it stars canadian donald (laughs) sutherland running around (laughs) venice (laughs) that really surprises me you guys have the good actors over there yeah Yeah, but they all go off to hollywood as soon as they're able to Um, that's funny because all the american film institute list films are so like the epitome of manifest destiny and like deeply problematic yeah yeah <laughs> oh god I'm, yeah so yeah I, I basically just worked down the list until i got to number seven when i was like oh that one's Great. actually quite british <laughs> um I, I mean more than anything you know british talent it's a whole thing over here anyone who does well in the british film industry goes to hollywood as soon as they can and makes big budget hollywood movies and maybe they come back here mm. and make a little film once in a blue moon but they kind of go go Hollywood. Ken Loach, uh, who directed Kez, is one of the only real powerhouse names in the world of British film who I don't think ever really went off to America or betrayed his roots. He's still making films like this today. Yeah. Well, that's it. Ken Ken Loach. Ken Loach is, um, you know, he's been making the same kind of films for his entire career. In that, they're kind of championing the underdog and going, "Oh, look, look at these downtrodden people. Uh, we should look at them a bit more." Mm-hmm. Um, mostly based on a class system which doesn't quite exist in the same way anymore as it did back in the sixties. Ken Loach has won the Palm Door twice, which you know is. In terms of artistic credibility, is fancy ex- excellent. Uh, one for the wind that shakes the barley, which was about basically Ireland struggling to not to be part of Britain, <laughs> and so is <laughs> and so is about the the Irish Revolution and 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 things in the what is it nineteen eighteen something like that. But yeah, so Ken Loach basically makes slightly anti authoritarian films like he tackles the status quo Mm -hmm. and that is something he's done throughout his career did a lot of documentary things in the 80s and and that sort of thing so he really is someone who's stuck to his principles and he's make he's making films that have a message um and whether they whether they um you know he's not interested in being entertaining i guess (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) well ken loach 
is, uh, I mean, a dyed-in-the-wool socialist. Now, I know in America that's a dirty word. Over here, it's kind of being nice to people who need help. Isn't that a crazy concept? <laughs> have rights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in, in America, that's like basically communism, and communism is killing everyone. Yeah, people get That's, that's the straight it. line there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, even, even over here, he's very, very left-wing, really. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I first saw Kez probably 15 years ago or something, and I came to it because a friend of mine who I worked with at the time, uh, it was his favourite film ever. Yeah. And he went on and on about how amazing it was and lent me the DVD, and I went and watched it, and I was sort of just getting into film at the time, so I was in... What would you have been, like, 15, 16? Yeah, yeah, probably about 15. And so when I was about 14, 15, 16, I watched a lot of classic films and didn't really dare say that they weren't good ever. Mm -hmm. And so there were a lot of films like Scarface is one I remember just going, well, people say it's good. It must be great. And then I revisited it far more recently and I was like, no, that's a really badly written, badly made film. Um, And Kez was one of those where I kind of didn't really click with it, but I didn't dare say anything bad about it. And I rewatched it yesterday. <laughs> and I think, if anything, I'd almost convinced myself it was better than it was. Oh. Bizarrely, I remember a completely different ending to the film than what it is. I remember I was trying to hold back tears halfway through the film because I started remembering the ending. Oh. And my memory of the ending is this heartbreaking sequence of events where you like see the 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 kid going down into the mines and like, sort of giving a sad look to the teacher who tried to stop him from going down the mines and and I watched <laughs> the film and there's that's there's nothing like that in there I don't know what that's interesting that you ending. you take that out because I think that is kind of what it implies yeah. or certainly that's yeah. that's one potential future for this kid and yeah it, it's implicitly there but I remember very clearly the shot and yeah so I just imagined part of the film and basically I just didn't really connect with it on this rewatch. I um I kind of get what it's doing and can respect what it was doing, but it just didn't work for me on a entertainment level, which is weird because like I say I watched Ken Loach's most recent film quite recently and that was the complete opposite. It was the same bleak just a load of mundane depressing stuff happening, but I found it utterly captivating. So I don't know if that speaks to just a change in film language and the fact that it's more modern and the fact that this is still quite 1960s in its approach to filmmaking and it's a bit slower mm. as a result of it or what really? I, I don't know. Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just something you relate to more. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Characters. I will say the most recent one, the main actor is a, a sort of Mancunian guy, um, a guy from Manchester, Thank if you. that makes no sense to you. Oh, no. um, I did not. <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> and I am, uh, I, I sort of consider myself vaguely Mancunian. Mm. I, I'm from all over the UK. I've lived all over. So I guess I may be connected with that a bit more, hearing that kind of Ma- Manchester, fucking Manchester accent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Instead of that kind of. No, I've seen Love Island. Uh, I know. Whatever Yorkshire. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm familiar with the builders from Manchester. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have a question. And um, that is. Yes. When you received this DVD from your friend back in the day, mm. was the cover, this cover. Oh. Of Billy, uh, projected onto a trash can. A, a bin. <laughs> That's literally what it is on iTunes. Billy no, <laughs> I don't think it was. No, I, I, I'm gonna have to look up the poster now. Well, like I say, the 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 famous poster here is like him sticking twos up, basically, which is quite a British thing, I suppose. It might not play if it's an American yeah, poster. No, we... <laughs> oh, what, what is it? <laughs> Like this, it's, it's like it's, it's like a milder like that, form basically. of flipping the bird. Well, yeah. Isn't it based off of archers who would get their fingers cut off? So they so they say. I, yeah. I, I don't know how true that is, but that's the story. Yeah. I think I've seen that disputed oh, in cool. places, but that's what most people attribute it to. Okay, so I uh, we we um, we generally kind of attack the film chronologically, sort okay. of scene by scene. Yeah. Um, not, don't have to be too strict with that, but what I guess <laughs> you're thirty seconds into the film. 
you you've had to stop to turn the <laughs> subtitles on. You've, <laughs> what, what were your first thoughts? I guess what were your, what was your initial impression? Oh no, no. Let me ask this question. I'm assuming you didn't know anything about the film before. So what were you expecting based I... on based on the picture of a boy on a bin? I had read the iTunes description that was like Billy the boy is sad and has a bad time for two hours, pretty much. <laughs> there's a bird, and I was like, "Yeah, it sounds right." <laughs> so I was I was anticipating a boy just getting bullied for a while, and then also I was like, "There's no way this bird does not get snapped in half." That <laughs> has to be what happens. <laughs> That's interesting that you foresaw that, the desolate ending. Uh, I did not read the description before, and I'm really glad I did not. Because when I read it afterward, I felt that it was very misleading. It seems like so much more of the movie did follow the... Because, you know, it said, you know, this boy gets a bird and whatever. But the movie didn't feel like that to me. It was... I mean, mm. we'll get it. It was so much more sitting with people yelling at each other that, that was not in the description. But anyway, yeah, I, I was... Really, I did not look at any pictures or anything, but from the name Kess, I was positive it was going to be about soccer. And the entire time... <laughs> what? Football, if you will. Yeah, football, sorry. Um, I, I just, because it, it sounded, it sounded, but I, I can't explain to you. I was just sure of it. And so the entire time I was waiting, and I in fact did get... I think it was soccer, maybe rugby. What was it? it no, was that's soccer. that's football. Okay, so yeah, when yeah. I got to that scene, I was like, I knew it. I knew it the whole time. <laughs> she was so excited. I have to say, very beginning, first scene, the guys in the bed, one of the worst lines in cinema <laughs> was uttered, which was the older brother said to the younger brother, I wrote this down, hands off cocks on socks. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of sealed the deal for the rest of the film for me. <laughs> Is that a British thing? Because I, I, that's like an army thing. Okay. It might be like a British army thing, specifically. I have gone my whole life not hearing it. Blessedly, I totally <laughs> yeah, it's 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 probably a British army thing, thinking oh about God. it. Yeah, but, yeah. but they like, sh you know, it's one of those things the drill sergeant shouts when he comes into the room. Isn't yeah, get like, everyone get moving. Up. But yeah, that, that opening scene, yeah, we see them... I mean, it sets the scene immediately. You've got two kids sharing a bed. I mean, not sharing a room, they're sharing a bed. It's just like yeah. immediately says, like, they, these guys have not got a lot of privacy. They don't want money, no mm -hmm. money. Uh, so it sets your scene pretty well. I noticed they did have sheets and uh, 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 like a blanket as well. Bloody luxury, I tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Having proper sheets. No, oh, they don't know they're born, these kids, honestly. <laughs> my, <laughs> my, da my dad's. My dad tells a story of how he and his brother, who shared a bed, um, would sleep under their dad's great coat. Mm. So just oh like a big gosh. winter coat that yeah, was yeah. like that. That was what they slept under. I don't know if that was like. I think that was just like when it was particularly cold and they needed an extra layer rather than just a standard. I think. <laughs> My first thirty seconds watching this film, I felt truly awful because mm -hmm. I just started thinking like, oh god, I've like. I've made these two people watch this film. <laughs> I felt really bad. You should. Yeah, it was bad. It was a bad time. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of thought it would be a bit more... We, we covered a film called This Is England quite recently on this podcast, and... It's a very, it's almost like a modern evolution of what Ken. Lynch oh, it definitely is, is. and I, I, uh, I imagine if you talk to Shane Meadows, who directed This Is England, yeah. he would cite this as a direct influence. There's no, there's no way. There's a, it's a mm. straight line between the two. It's not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we, we both love that film, and beyond that, it's over in the UK. I'm sure no one in America has ever heard of it at all because <laughs> it is very, very British. But it's quite a mainstream thing here. They they made a TV show follow up to it, and that got huge by British standards viewing figures. And you know, it was a really well regarded bit of work. And that's this same kind of bleak drama, but I suppose it's very accessible as a mainstream bit of entertainment in mm -hmm. a way that perhaps this isn't. And I suppose in my memory, I think I had chosen something that you might be able to enjoy, but 30 seconds in, I was like, oh no, this is going to be <laughs> two hours of just... It's like the colour grey that gets worse over the course of 120 <sighs> minutes, is how I would describe this film. It was certainly upsetting. I will say, 
one thing that I did that I was enjoying throughout the film, I guess, enjoy is a word I could use for it. I was very fascinated by was culturally, I was very curious and fascinated the whole time to be kind of taking in this, um, because I've seen movies about, you know, the American working class and how America would pose our struggles and everything. But it, it was interesting to see, I don't know, a movie about the British working class. And I don't know, I definitely have a lot of questions that <laughs> will come up. I was probably not fair on this film because as soon as they introduced like minors and a kid named Billy, I was like, I just wish this was Billy Elliot. Start dancing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, please, well, I... I want the musical. <laughs> I want it now. <laughs> I remembered him being a Geordie in this film, which I think was <laughs> Billy Elliot uh, confusing me. Uh, yeah, because I was like, I was expecting Geordie accents, and then I was like, well, that's a really strong, weird accent, but it's not Geordie. What is it? Oh, it's Barnsley. <laughs> yeah. The fact that they do that in the accents and um, they stuck with that obviously affected the success of the film and its distribution, even mm. in even in Britain and certainly in America. But it's important. It's because when you hear that kid talk, you don't think, oh, he might grow up to be a doctor one day. You think he's just a common, like, common as muck working class scruff. Mm. Like, that might not come across to you so much. But, like, mm. it, it, that is a working class accent. It, it's, and that sets you up. So when you hear the teachers talking, mm. they're, they're a bit more well-spoken. And I, I think that's it, really. In the UK, it kind of is how much you... Not necessarily consciously, but I think just a lot of people will get develop much more of a, an RP accent for professional reasons and being able to inter or just traveling, like you say, going off to uni in another part of the country. But that's it. You're not going to go up in like uh, uh, as a solicitor and go up in front of a judge and go, right then, lad, I've got some evidence for the year. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, Shovel exhibit here for us. <laughs> it's just not professional. <laughs> All the accents carry baggage as well, you know, like, I'd say the, the proper Mancunian and Liverpudlian accents are both quite aggressive, I think, to most <laughs> yeah, or Glaswegian, northwestern yeah, types. Scottish accent is... <laughs> so the film is based on a book uh, by Barry Hines called Kestrel for a Knave, and uh, it was written a year before, although they, they got the rights to it before it was even published, because they were working with this guy as a writer for other things anyway. So they really liked it, they wanted to make it. And I, I thought, and I don't know if you, how you feel about this, Sol, um, but like when we watched This Is England, which we've already mentioned, mm. there's a certain improvisational nature to it. Like they set them up because they're using mostly kind of non-actors or inexperienced actors. So they kind of say, look, this is your character. This is the scene. Do a lot of re kind of rehearsal stuff with them. But then they kind of let it flow where it might go. And I kind of thought that Kez had that same feel because it feels quite oh, yeah, improvised. Yeah, there's... There's a credit right at the start that says something like "thanks to the Barnsley local primary school" or something. So I'm yeah, so all the extras, all the school, school kids, and, and yeah, they're all local yeah. extras. But having said that, it's really close to the novel. It, it is extremely faithful really? to it in terms of the story beats and things. It, it, so how specifically they play out in terms of dialogue and stuff, maybe not. But there's not a huge deal of plot, is there? Mm. So maybe that's why. Like I. I was but it's like it's like right down it, to uh... right down to things like oh he goes to class and they ask him to tell a story so he tells a story about his kestrel okay, like, yeah. like really specific things like that which is obviously right. you can set that up and then just get him to do it but it was it was much more closely aligned like I just thought this is like let's film this kid and say oh look how shit his life <laughs> is oh yeah. look his brother's a bastard <laughs> like yeah. that's about it <laughs> but it's actually it's all there which is interesting yeah. because these none of these guys were really actors are certainly not mm. well established the kid obviously isn't an act wasn't an actor uh so for example when he goes to the library the librarian talks to him like that's not an actor i think it's i think it's a librarian I don't, i'm not sure but i think they just sort <laughs> of went into the library interesting way to make a yeah. film just get people from the actual profession <laughs> play but that, that's what that's what ken loach does now still i think you know i, I as i keep going back to this um film he made last year Sorry, we missed you. My my understanding is certainly the two main actors, the guy who's like a delivery driver and his wife who's a like a carer who goes around to old people's homes and so on, they were both complete non-actors that he discovered. And I think they were people doing those jobs who, you know, it shows at times the woman in that film particularly is clearly not an actor professionally. But then I think that brings a real raw kind of 
what's the word, like a vulnerability to the characters sometimes. Like, you definitely get something by doing that, Mm. I think, sometimes. And I think you get a lot of that same energy in Kez, but maybe not yeah, I mean, I consistently think, all the way through. I think yeah. whatever our boy Ken was going for, he certainly achieved. Like, I think he did a really good job <laughs> yeah. of what he set out yeah. to do. Um, yeah, but as you said, not necessarily meant to be enjoyed. I think also mm. as an American, we are so set up to uh, expect a happy ending, um, or at least a moment of redemption or uplift or something like hope <laughs> in some way. And this film never delivered. I remember it's getting you. Yeah. And a very funny thing about what you thought would happen to Billy by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, at one point I realized the only way that this story could have been redeemed for me after just people were yelling and yelling at this poor boy, uh, I realized only if he turned into a kestrel at the very end <laughs> <laughs> and flew away would I be like, you know? Into the end. <laughs> That, that would be great. Me. That would be a great ending. Apparently, um, Disney did want to buy the rights to this <gasps> to remake it, uh, but they said we want to give it a happy ending, yeah. and the author said no. Could you imagine if Disney released this film? <laughs> I well, he would turn it, if he turned into a kestrel at the end. I can imagine. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, well, not not even because it's not that this film just ends on a bleak note but it also ends incredibly abruptly yeah. there's no real satisfying conclusion mm-hmm. it just kind of cuts and you think oh is that it <laughs> well it's it's interesting you said something there liana when you were talking about it uh, that there's no hope basically my last note the last thing i wrote was the death of hope oh. that's that's the message of the film yeah like we're that the whole point of this film is to go look at these kids that we are not helping and we're not giving them, we're not even giving them hope. Mm. We're not giving them a chance. That's that's the message of it. Like That's the whole point. But it's not a nice one. <laughs> it's not an easy one to take. Because that, that's the whole point. That's the whole point is like, this lifestyle that they live, That this is it. There isn't a happy ending. Mm-hmm. He's going to grow up a few years, get married, have his own kid, work a dead-end job. And then die of, an, of a heart attack when he's 58 because he lives in an area where the, 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 they're pumping out coal dust into the air. <laughs> Yorkshire diet's not great as well. There's a lot of um, a lot of greasy food in the diet over there, isn't there, Alan? In Yorkshire, they do a thing where if you go and get fish and chips, which, you know, most of the UK like their fish and chips, but in Yorkshire, when you get fish and chips, you ask for something called scraps. Is well, it scraps he does, he does this in the film. He goes and uh, they're going, scraps, missus. Does it, scraps means nothing to you, does it? Just, <laughs> okay. Basically, yeah. Scraps is all the little bits of batter that have fallen off in the deep oh, fat fryer oh, that are knocking around at the bottom and they just sort of get all the bits of just fat, basically. Uh-huh. It's just deep it fried batter. Sure. Yeah. You need that. Yeah, deep, deep fried he's a batter. Boy. <laughs> he's a, he's a growing boy. Yeah, he's fifteen. Uh, like the character's fifteen, but the actor is fifteen as well. Wow. He looks eleven or twelve. Mm-hmm. Like thought, he doesn't yeah. like he's gone through puberty even. We were talking but, about and he, that. But he looks he looks skinny and and malnourished, and that's because he is. Mm-hmm. As, and and the actor is as well because that's where he lived. That's where he yeah. was from. Wow. That was his oh. life. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I was definitely very struck by all the adults in the film and how they were... I mean, the hopelessness definitely came across because um, the way that people were speaking to each other, I just couldn't get over. By the time that the teacher was nice to him, it had been so much of the film. I think I wrote down at one point what minute of the film was the first time somebody asked him. I had a very similar thought, to be honest, because for me, that was when the plot really started mm-hmm. and it was the last half hour of the film and it was just like oh, okay yeah yeah <laughs> i suppose if it was an american remake if it was an american remake matthew perry would play that he'd <laughs> oh take a special interest and come he'd, home and he'd, he'd end up dating rap. kez's mum to do a rap to teach him history yeah, yeah. Like, talk to me what's going on oh my god <laughs> Oh, I thought that was so sweet, though, like when, he, when the, the teacher... Because the teacher's the first person, like you say, who's actually nice to him and shows the interest. Yeah. yeah. And then he come, he drives down to see him with his kestrel, like, even outside of school hours. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> actually, someone cares. I know. Well, this uh, is it. Like, for me, the film really, like, kicked up a gear around there. I was like, okay, I, I like this now, and I'm, <laughs> I'm invested in these characters, finally. Yeah. And, I find the scenes with this guy really interesting and entertaining, finally. 
but then it just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And I know that's the point, but it's <laughs> it's not. A, I don't agree that it's necessarily the best way to make the point the film wants to make. Mm. Like I, I, I can't tell if it's either just not that incredibly well made or if it's just dated mm-hmm. very badly. Because, like I say, I I watch very similar newer versions of the same sort of thing and really get into them. But I just found Kez dull. Yeah, I think because I I agree. I think when a modern film or TV show or anything reveals something about like a culture that's not being paid enough attention or given enough Mm. like resources, something like that. I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is so powerful. This message needs to be conveyed. I'm so glad somebody's talking about this. So it is possible that Kez just sort of gets lost in the annals of time because it was like 50 years ago now. And so the relevancy. Uh, Okay, one scene that I really, I couldn't understand at all why it was included, even though I was rooting for it, was the soccer scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally... (laughs) The beautiful thing. Okay, so yeah, the football scene, it is... Totally irrelevant. You're right. I, uh, I love but... a film analysis of it. If you guys can <laughs> shed any light at all. Well, I mean, it's it, it feels like it's your comic relief. It's like, look, what? this is a bleak film. So enjoy this bit. Well, remember the guy comes in with the music, with the marching? Yeah, it came in abruptly, a different style this all is, of a sudden. This is the funny bit. If you didn't find it funny, no. then you're really going to struggle with the rest of it. I think the purpose of the first hour or so of this film, mostly is just character development. It, it, like the soccer scene, the football You're scene. building the whole just, world, yeah. Oh God. It's just, this is this kid's bleak life. He's getting bullied even here, but this is kind of the nice bit of his life. Yeah. I don't think there's much to it beyond that. Mm-hmm. And then, it's... like I say, about an hour in, the plot kicks into gear. He goes and catches a bird and develops a hobby and then the film ends. And... <laughs> yes. Well, the, that, that, that whole, uh, the whole football playing scene, the PE thing... Like the the actor, the guy who's playing the teacher there, he is one of Britain's like primo actors. He is really uh, one of the best. Is actors. he? Who was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's Brian Glover, uh, who who you of course will know from Alien Three. Uh, he's not really one of Britain's best actors, but he did have he did go on to have a very um, successful career, mostly playing like hard headed Yorkshireman. Sure. <laughs> um, but he was, and he was um, a professional wrestler before that, like is in the kind of entertainment wrestling oh, sense. Yeah. So they brought him in for that. It's a sort of comedy thing. But that's his accent. You know, he's from Barnsley as well. <laughs> uh, the number of times that there was a grown man alone in a room with children also didn't translate mm. in America. Like, we were stressed. I, I just, I think that would not that's, be, I didn't actually feel as time thing, yeah. because they were British for some reason. It felt, and it was the 60s, right? But like, <laughs> because they're British and it was the 60s, I felt like okay, I know that these, I know this is gonna be fine, but I was thinking yeah. if this was American, I would not feel comfortable whatsoever. Like they would not put that in. Mm-hmm. I think even in the sixties. I did have a similar thought once or twice, and I think it's a sad reflection of our times compared to the sixties, which I suppose were far more innocent, perhaps naive. Mm-hmm. Um, they just didn't really think about things like that. Yeah. Also, the time thing. Um, so many adolescent butts in the film. <laughs> I was like, we're going to be arrested. What? <laughs> you can't watch this. <gasps> yeah, I think there's more like comfort in British media with nudity than in America. Yeah. We, are, we get stressed. I, I, I have never seen a piece of British content. I don't think that didn't at some point include a bum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's very, yeah. very possible. Yeah, it's, the bums are funny. That That's the classic... <laughs> the classic British sense of humour, which actually leads me on to something I did want to touch on related to Kez. And I suppose more specifically related to an American view of what the hell we're doing Mm. in this country. Certainly for people my age, I think Kez has perhaps... It's probably now best remembered by a lot of people because there was a sketch show in the early 2000s. Do Do you guys won't know who Craig David is, will you? No. He never broke America. He tried desperately. <laughs> tried to We're also the worst ones. Yeah, we don't know. He was a, he was a singer, like a Craig kind David of is a chill an R and B musician. Oh, certainly not. I don't and know. he was incredibly, incredibly successful in the UK for about eighteen months. <laughs> yeah, for for a few years, but you know, incredibly successful because he was young and sexy. Uh, he was really yeah. You know, he was... Yeah, and he and he did put out a lot of. He had. Uh, I wrote it down. Twenty. UK top 40 singles okay, in his career, which is quite a lot. Basically, there was a sketch show that started at the same time, which was 
I don't even know how to begin explaining this. You can't explain it. Um, (laughs) This guy put on these awful rubber masks that were like caricatures of celebrities and then would do impressions of the celebrities, but they didn't sound anything like them. And it was really weird. And I mean, it wasn't particularly good, but it was incredibly (laughs) successful for some reason. Wow. So it's yeah. basically like coming up with really weird and bizarre, grotesque kind of comedy characters, yeah. but then claiming that it's Craig David or Mel B out of yeah. Spice Girls. Uh, well, one, one uh, of the big ones he did was Michael Jackson, and I know that that influenced Trey Parker of South Park's apparently a big fan, and that was how they based their Michael Jackson on South Park. Mm. It was based on Bo Selector, the oh. name of the show. And he did this guy called Craig David, but for whatever reason, he decided to walk around with a fake kestrel taped to his arm <laughs> and instead of doing anything to do with craig david he just went around going come on our kids oh it's me craig david and craig david's not from yorkshire so there was no connection at all it's just a, <laughs> yeah. a, a completely random thing yeah and i just think it's real like the show was never funny but what was funny is that craig david hated it and it pretty much killed his career oh, and he still wow. blames it for just ending his career now oh my God. He did an interview a few years back where he said that basically killed my career because I couldn't walk down the street without people coming up to me and going, Craig David, and like doing the voice at him. <laughs> He's more recently tried to walk that back and say, oh, I don't really think that, but it's obviously a PR thing. He's obviously a bit... A friend of mine interviewed him for a piece she was writing, and apparently he had a watch on, and the watch had no numbers on it or hands. It was just a blank... So it wasn't a watch, it was just a blank (laughs) disc on. Yeah, Yeah, he wore a bracelet. And she said, oh, that's an interesting watch. Uh, How come there's nothing on it? And he said, because I don't need to know the time, because I live in the here and now. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I think that sums up Craig David as a person. Um, But I just... Never heard of tattoos, huh? (laughs) Are you guys in a position to watch a YouTube video if I send it over to you really quick? Yeah, of course. This is what uh, the lasting legacy of Kez is in the UK, or at least was about 10 years ago. This is helpful because we were curious. <laughs> Rachel, Craig David here, and welcome to Behind the Scenes of my UK tour. British culture. This is so... What? Uh, his <laughs> face is... You... <laughs> that's, that's what you get on British TV. You what, Kez? Hi, I'm sure they've got a porn channel. Right. This is, I, I love that I came into this with so much confidence about like, knowing about British culture. Because I was like, I watch Taskmaster, I know British culture, so let's go. And everything you've said has baffled me. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll be honest, I still don't really understand what Bo Selector was or how it became popular. It, it was one of those things that was inexplicably really successful for about two years. Yeah. And then... Uh, most people probably don't even remember it now. Mm. Although that guy who did it is still really successful on ITV, which is kind of the... Mm. How would you describe ITV to an American, Alan? It's sort of the... It's not the BBC. <laughs> I don't think he's even on ITV, Sol. He's on ITV2 now. Oh, he is, yeah. I will say, I do think there was a there was a true moment of actual comedy in the film, which oh, yeah. was when... Uh, Billy has just slept, spent the night in the school. That was not funny. But then the next morning, he's going for his interview for his job. And <laughs> the mother and the son are sitting next to him in the waiting room. And the mother's like, shouldn't you go to the interview room? Like, go, go up there. And he walks up to the interview room. And as soon as he gets there, a man from inside the room yells at him, get out. <laughs> and I was like, that, that is comedy. <laughs> this was the five seconds of the film that made it <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, British comedy, what about the scene where we see uh, in the Working Man's Club the, the the performer doing a comedy song? Uh, Could you? Did you oh my the, god! Um, the Working Man's Club. Yes. What? <laughs> okay, so a Working Man's a Working Man's Club is it's basically a pub. It's you know where you go to buy booze, uh, but it's more specifically for the working men in the in the town. But you know anyone can go there. They... But it's like the community centre. Okay. Um, but they will have, yeah, they'll have a turn on. So they have a band. I remember that scene. I remember acknowledging that I suppose humor was happening because people were laughing. <laughs> it's a song about a huge marrow. What more do you want? Yeah, and what is, uh. what is a huge. What, yeah, I, I didn't know what that song was about. I think barrier. <laughs> oh, yeah, because. Marrow 
Yeah, when when Wallace and Gromit's movie went to America, they dubbed the line about a marrow and changed it to melon because they were worried Americans wouldn't understand. And, and uh, they were I right. Suppose they were right. <laughs> what is it? What is that? A marrow. A marrow. It's, it's a big like green a vegetable, vegetable it's thing. A, it's like a massive it's courgette. Similar to- like a zucchini? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> courgette. Well, like a, yeah. It's like a huge zucchini. Yeah. So is it a dick joke? Is that why they're laughing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's, it's not a good joke. <laughs> but didn't you see the guy did a silly face when he made the noise? What more do you need for comedy? I needed a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but like little details, like, you know, the all the adults have like dirty yellow fingers because they smoke and it just stains your fingers because mm. there's all just these horrible little <laughs> rollies, like not yeah. nice filtered cigarettes that you get today that are really healthy. Um, like little details like that, which is obviously not makeup. It's just that's what they have. Hmm. And when the when the mother she's talking about how she married a wrong and and stuff like that, little things like that in the language that just jumps out at me as being very familiar, very recognizable. Hmm. So I get that that perhaps doesn't play <laughs> for everyone. Uh, so Barry Hines, who wrote the novel, um, he was a teacher, basically in that area. He's from that area. And he was a PE teacher, in fact. And he wrote the book. The idea of the book was to critique the education system. So that's oh. really what this is about. That's why we yeah, see so many that. different teachers. That's why we see so many different types. That's kind of why we have that PE teacher there. He it's, he's, he's saying, look at all these teachers and aren't they all assholes? Apart from, well, this one's good, which is probably the one who's based on him. Uh. He's not got enough support to do the job as well as he would perhaps yeah. like to and, yeah. but but more specifically he was critiquing uh and and really what ken loach wanted to critique uh, was what we call the 11 plus system i don't know if that's going to mean anything to you so basically in the old days that doesn't even mean anything to me, <laughs> however. so in the 60s we had these uh you know you would go to school and then when you were 11 you took an exam and if you were good if you passed or were in the top whatever percentage you got to go to a grammar school and if you didn't, you just got sent to the whatever the local crappy school was. And the grammar schools were better funded. They had better processes. And you could get in. And there was a lot of people, like you could get in and it was free if you passed the exam. So it was a great way for working class people to get a better education and sort of get out of their position. But a lot of people would pass, get a place, but they couldn't afford to go. Not because there were any fees, but because they couldn't afford to buy a uniform and like books and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like that's the level of sort of poverty we're talking about. So, for example, I'm talking about my family. My grandparents were miners, proper like basically this is their life. Both my parents passed and went to a grammar school, and then they ended up working in a bank, which is like a much more nice middle class job. And so, hence, my parents are really middle class, uh, although they've got this real working class ethic. And I've been brought up really middle class <laughs> because of that. And so. That was a big thing back then, and they're critiquing that because basically, rather than saying, look, oh, let's pick the bright and the best and give them a good education, everyone else can fuck off, go and work in the mines, whatever. Yep. Why don't we educate everyone? Like, that's that's the basic thesis of the film, mm. uh, which makes a lot of sense. And indeed, that system doesn't exist anymore uh, in the same way, although you can still go to grammar schools but it's all like private and fee paying and stuff like that now i do think in terms of critiquing the education system it also commented very well on the cycle of abuse too just seeing it Mm. go down from you know the older brother to the younger brother or the teachers to the students or the older students to the younger students you just keep seeing it perpetuate another note i made which is basically that impotent rage Everyone in this film is impotent rage. They're all angry and they have no way of expressing it. So they just, they kick down to whatever, whatever they have power over. And ultimately our hero, Billy, has nothing to to kick down to. Even the other school kids pick on him. And so, and that is a a running theme. Like when the, the older brother comes in drunk, he starts slapping him around the face and calling him names. And it's so meaningless. Like he just wants to get it out. But there's, the, the, the guy's not, you know... He, he's not receiving it. Yeah, well, the, head, the headmaster, before he canes them, he's giving this lecture about, oh, you know, you, you never change, you never do this, you never do this. And it's like, even in his own words, he's saying like, this is pointless. I just come here every day, I hit you, and then you walk off and you don't care. And they're laughing in his face. Mm. Like, there's no respect at all. And it's like, that is the other running theme of this. Just everybody 
everyone's just so impotent and but angry about it and they can't express it so they I get did drunk write down, um, everyone in england should be given therapy for free <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well we we are <laughs> oh god damn it you're right oh. <laughs> fuck never mind <laughs> I don't think therapy even existed in 1969. No. Not in Barnsley, yeah. anyway. Well, that's that the was thing. clear. That was very clear. <laughs> well, the therapy is go to the working man's club, drink until you pass out. <laughs> yeah. Go back to work. Do, do you know the phrase kitchen sink drama, or is that distinctly British? I, I feel like that's a British Well, name. again, we are not uh, experts. We're here... We're here with our ignorance <laughs> of film. There was a wave of these in the U in in like the sixties, Alan, is that yeah, right? Yeah. There was a wave of what they call kitchen sink drama and it was films like Kez, Taste of Honey, um, Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner and Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. They were all about these like bleak working class people who lived for the weekend and didn't really have any prospects in their life and um it became very popular for a while and then kind of died off, but they still make them in various forms do they spend a lot of time at the kitchen sink is that why they call it that i don't know actually where the, the that specific name comes from i wonder if it's a specific might be a, a specific film where it all sort of takes place at the kitchen sink and that was one of the four four uh, bears of it i'm not sure to be honest but this it's just one of those accepted terms like yeah. cinematic concealism that everyone uses so <laughs> uh, so <laughs> um it's a genre, which is a little bit, but it's social social realism basically. Ah, it's kind of yeah, telling a telling a true stories, particularly yeah. working class. Hmm. Basically, in your working class family, you would have your front room, but that was for best. That was for like when the vicar came round or, or stuff like that. So you don't use that. You put you put the body there when it's laid out for a funeral. It's like that's what it's for. <laughs> Uh, so everyone lived in the kitchen. The whole the whole life took place in the kitchen. You had a little table there. The mum just potted around, cooking, cleaning, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and and so I, it's probably related to that somehow. In that everything mm. happens in the kitchen. Yeah. I've just looked it up, and I can tell you, it comes from the term kitchen sink realism, which was a, a term used for art in more broader terms. Kitchen sink realism artists were people who started just painting mundane things such mm. as beer bottles or kitchen sinks, and presumably sense. kitchen sink drama just developed from that. Mm. Mm, fair enough. So there we go. One thing we one thing we haven't really talked about is the kestrel. It feels it feels oh, like yeah. we should at least okay, mention yeah. that because the whole point, obviously, is he decides to he, he finds this young yes. kestrel. He decides to take it and tame it, so to speak, train it. But this is a beautiful thing, you know, like he goes to get, he goes and gets a book and reads it, even though he can barely read and he wants to learn. And, and it, it is, that is like the kind of little flash of hope, this little kind of, this element of life that he can control and, and understand. And, and then obviously it's taken away from him. That's the, the brutal ending. <laughs> he just gets kicked in, kicked in the head at the end. If the whole film had been Kestrel centric, I think I'd really love it. <laughs> If it had started with him, you know, within the first ten minutes, thinking, oh, I'll go out and catch myself a kestrel, and spent time with him doing that, and there'd been more of a hint that perhaps he could do something with that, because that's the other thing. It, as it exists in the film, it's this hobby, it's quite an unusual hobby, but it shows that this, you know, this kid is capable of teaching himself quite a specific craft and discipline and capable of more i suppose yeah, but yeah. yeah at the same time there's not a lot of employment prospects for <laughs> someone who learns to catch a kestrel and well that's it that's what you kind of even if the teacher had developed that in him right. he's probably still going to go down the mine you know? yeah at the end you're expecting the teacher to come around and go look i've i've arranged this thing you can become an apprentice to a local kestrel <laughs> yeah. keeper you know like that's the best you're going to get as a happy ending isn't it but you don't yeah. even get that anyway. no i do think it's a very effective symbol throughout the film of you know the potential and then it being taken away for a better life in any way well like, yeah i mean it's, it's a bird that's tied down like like it's pretty it's pretty uh... but i think for me i just the whole film was so stressed on behalf of the bird that i like even in the moments of <laughs> comedy as you have said um it, i was like when is the bird gonna get snapped 
I just know what's gonna happen. I, I'm assuming animals were harmed in the production <laughs> of this film as well, Alan. Do you do you well? I I know, know anything on that front. I do know that um, obviously they needed a dead kestrel at the end, and but the kid, uh, David Bradley, who played the the boy, you know, he'd spent a lot of time with. They actually had two kestrels, you know, stunt kestrels, and he'd helped train them. He had to learn how to do all the thing and all that. So he'd spent a lot of time with them, and then we're like, look, we're gonna have to kill one of these birds for the end, like so. <laughs> So Are about you that. serious? So then, obviously, when he opens the bin and there's dead Keshul in there, it's a very genuine reaction. He, oh, he'd he'd spent a lot of time with them. They basically said, like, "Look, sorry, we've had to kill one of your birds." Like, Holy- but actually, they hadn't. But they told him that uh... to get a kind of more genuine reaction out of him. And then it's but then the thing I was reading, they said they actually. But they killed another one. Well, that's what I was thinking. They said they actually found one that died of natural causes. And I was like, mm-hmm. mm, oh. did they though? Did they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I think we probably should talk about the fact that I think the principal's character name was um, Grice Pudding. <laughs> <laughs> well, his name is is Mr. Grice. So did someone call him Grice Pudding? That might be a sort of a, a teasing nickname. I mean, do you know what Rice Pudding is? Or is that yeah, just a totally... Yeah, <laughs> connection was not made. <laughs> We've kind of reached the end of discussion of Kess, I think. Um, it's been it's been illuminating, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we like to rate things out of ten here. You, if you want to oh. bring bring that to mind, and bear in mind, <laughs> I've got my finger over the leave <laughs> zoom meeting <laughs> button. <laughs> in, in, oh, I'm going to march out in disgust. <laughs> I think there's a lot of really nice stuff going on in Kez, but I don't think it comes together as well as it perhaps could, and I think it's very dull for much of its running time in a way that isn't necessary. Um, It's perfectly possible to make this kind of bleak kitchen sink drama, but very entertaining. You know, we've talked about many cases, I think, on this podcast before where it's been done. And the ending just doesn't do it for me because it is so abrupt. There's no real sense of conclusion. Even like, I'm all for a bleak, depressing ending, but in terms of structure, it just kind of stops and you're like, oh, right, okay. So it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. I, I do respect a lot of what it's doing, but I don't love it. I give it a six out of ten. For my own rating scale, it would have to be a zero out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> On your guys' scale, I might give I'd probably give it a two. For for the sake of international relations. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I do I do like respect what it was doing. I, I appreciate movies like this and there were there were moments that made me sit and think um, about things that I appreciated thinking about, but they were not worth all the pain <laughs> that I felt for the rest of it. It made me feel so bad for everybody in the film. It was mm. educational, but um, I could only make my worst enemy watch this film. <laughs> um, I would say also, um, I'm so sorry, but it's a two out of 10 for me. Um, <laughs> and before this podcast started, it was at a strong zero. <laughs> You talked it up. <laughs> You've talked it up quite a lot. I mean, yeah. I'm learning about the history, learning about this. Our, our guy Ken. You know, <laughs> this movie, I'm just glad that I already was having like a not great day. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I like the film, <laughs> but I think more than that, there is there is definitely for me a, 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 a like I say a sort of familiarity. Um, mm. Seeing not really my own life, but my heritage kind of on screen in a way that you just don't normally. And also, I, I do this for me. This is what films should be. Like, this is the point. You're not telling a story as much as showing a piece of life. Also, you're making a social commentary point with that, basically. Or in this case, you're you're kind of revealing it to people. You go, look, look, you have no idea how these people live. You, you makes you really sad, doesn't it? Yeah, well, why don't you do something to help them? Uh, so let's change the system if it's that bad. This is the sort of thing I would want to make. Although I don't think I would be capable of it, frankly. <laughs> because I think I would try and be more entertaining. I think I would try and give it a slightly more upbeat ending. I don't think I've got the courage to just kick everyone in the head. <laughs> and I wish I did. Actually, I improved my rating on Kess this from this watch. I obviously preferred it to the last time I watched it. <laughs> see, see, I had it as a seven when I saw it and I didn't dare talk against it. I've actually bumped my rating down to a six. Okay. I had it as an eight. I've bumped it up to a nine. I, I wouldn't, I'd love to make it a 10, but you know, there are some sort of structural uh, oddities in the film. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, it's, um, yeah, I would happily, uh, happily watch this film again. 
Okay, point five, point five. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to do an American version of Kess, like what would, how would you approach it? Like what, what sort of cultural well, icon would you, would you go and would you yeah. try and attach it to? So I guess, I guess ultimately it's like, how do you tell in America this story of working class struggle and, and, and like, uh, you know, what would you do? Right. I mean, obviously you have to take race into consideration in the States because so much of the class difference is also yeah. tied to race in America. Um, so that would probably be, it would most likely be a person of color. Honestly, these days, I would think a woman of color more so than a man or even, you know, a transgender person would be like the really downtrodden portion of society. That's interesting because one one sort of criticism of Ken Loach's career in general is that, you know, he always champions the underdog, the underdog straight white man, yeah. <laughs> which yeah, yeah. is, you know, it's, there's, there is a truth to that if you look at his body of work, but also, you know, he's a straight white man who was born in the 1930s, you know, it's a certain oh kind of of his time. So, <laughs> you know, you can't expect an 85 year old man to quite move with the times in the same way as everyone else does. He, he definitely, I think he's definitely made a bit of effort to have some women in there, but then they're straight white women, you know. One of his very early films, in fact, pre Kess, was about a woman who was having to get an illegal abortion, and, and oh. so it was sort of about women's things and the stuff about homelessness and stuff. So he has touched on that, but like not much since. <laughs> Sienna, for your American version, would you would it be animated? One hundred percent. I have I have a couple thoughts, which is, I mean, I could see this being more of like an Appalachian type of family you know if it was like the angry disenfranchisement of the straight white man type mm -hmm. that's probably mm -hmm. where they would put it um yeah or like the deep south maybe like rural right i 100 percent could see this as pixar mostly based on the description that i read afterward which completely misleads the viewer which is that it's a little boy who likes comics who lives in like a mining town finds a kestrel and learns to train it which sounds just whimsical <laughs> <laughs> Make it a Pixar movie. The 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 Kestrel would talk, and then of course it would have a happy ending. And also all the villains, all the the teachers and everything who yelled at him, they would also be redeemed at the end. And you would leave the theater feeling great, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> learning nothing more about the struggle of the people in your own country. Truly, I also think we as Americans, when we read the description of it and we hear a mining town, that doesn't have the the same historical significance laid over mm. it as it does in the That's UK, true. and the same like. I mean, obviously there there have been fights for minor miners' rights and like more improvement of working conditions here, but not in the same massive way that it has happened in the UK. And so Oh, it it, it defined a decade of the UK, I'd say, the miners' strikes. That's yeah. kind of what I think of when I think of how how is Margaret Thatcher perceived in America out of interest? Well, do, do... <laughs> from what I know from Billy Elliot and season four <laughs> of The Crown, we hate her. <laughs> yeah, she's okay. bad. I've definitely seen it a few times where American people have kind of been like, Margaret Thatcher's one of the greatest prime ministers of all time is in a kind of, because she was the first female prime minister, I think there's a degree of like, yes, she's competent, brilliant, mm -hmm. but she was evil. <laughs> a fair <laughs> description. Yeah. But she was very good at her job, to be fair, you know. She just didn't do nice things. Yeah. <laughs> Competently evil. Anyway. May I give you a sort of task, a sort of homework, so to speak? Um, um, I think Sol will approve of this. As if watching Kez wasn't enough. Oh my god, watch it again. No, no, but no, as a, as a kind of uh, a palate cleanse of that. Watch This Is England. Okay. Because oh. it's basically like the 2001 version of Kez. Mm. <laughs> when that was it? It was late in that, 2010? 2006, 2007, something like, something like that, yeah. But it is very much like this director has gone, I want to make some the, the kind of modern day Kez, although it's set in the 80s, so it's not even the modern day Kez. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, it's got the kind of same similar tone and feel of Kez, but it's a soul it's like a modern it's, film. It's, it's it's got rock songs in it that you'll have heard on the radio plus it's much more accessible it's mm -hmm. much less bleak it, it has oh, it's the happy bleak, moments though. to offset the bleak moments so as a, as a sort of continuation of a cultural uh, exchange <laughs> okay yeah and and the thick british accents are really charming and endearing sienna what can we give the boys in exchange <laughs> you know what hey have you seen have you seen book smart yes Okay, fuck. Alan, you haven't, have you? No, no. no. <laughs> Alan, it's good though. If I have to watch, watch this in England, you have to watch Booksmart. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. Also, um, have you seen 1917? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we we yes, both yes, seen yes. that. Oh, okay, good. 
Very good. I, I loved it. Alan, you thought it was very good, didn't you? Yeah. Great. I think you weren't quite as positive. I thought it wasn't as good as everyone says it was. <laughs> and that's it was... fair. It was made for me specifically, so I don't fault anyone for disliking it. This is my minor in college was the history of medicine and its advancements during wartime, specifically the First World War. And my type is George Mackay. <laughs> tick tick. That was all I needed. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I get that. I like him. Have you seen Sunshine on Leith? Isn't that no? Isn't because it? it's not available in America. Oh, I've, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> That's an extremely Scottish film. Yeah, but I have to have an Amazon.co.uk mailing address <laughs> to pay for. It. So that Sunshine on Leith is the Proclaimers jukebox musical oh, in film right, form, okay. directed by Dexter Fletcher, I think, who went on to do uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and. Uh, oh. Oh, the, the other one, Rocket Man. Yeah, the one it. I liked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, thanks, thanks for listening. Endpoint. Thanks for coming on, guys, um, <laughs> and giving us your time. Thanks for having cool. us. It was really fun.